come and preach on um, Matthew. Thank you very much. Good morning to everyone. Um, before I, I get going, could we just, maybe for a few minutes, just pray for the guys in India. Is that okay for Paul and the team? Just pray that, yeah, God will just really bless them and uh, make them a blessing to the guys there. Yeah, Father God, we, we just thank you for the uh, privilege of being part of your, your team, uh, being part of your, your army. Uh, thank you that these guys can uh, step out into a completely different continent and bring your kingdom in. Just want to thank you for the exploits that you do with us. And I pray, God, that you bless uh, Paul and the team. And just really, Father Lord, uh, use them mightily uh, to establish your kingdom. I pray, Father God, that you go ahead of them, uh, that you work through them, you use them mightily. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you. Uh, before I, I read the passage for today, we will be continuing with our, our Matthew series. Uh, the last time I spoke here, I got an email shortly afterwards. And it was one that really encouraged me. And uh, basically, this person was sharing about their, their Jesus story and a God moment that, that came their way. And I thought I'd just read, read it to us to ultimately encourage us, but to also just help us see the urgency of, um, of sharing our, our Jesus stories. Is that okay? So I'll just read it, to our, I'll just read it briefly to us, and then um, we'll go from there. Uh, Dear Sam, many thanks for your talk last Sunday. It is always encouraging when we ourselves are encouraged to share what God has done for us. I get so built up and excited when I hear how God has used people to share the good news to others. A personal printer testimony is something my wife and I did some years ago. And although we're always sharing the gospel, the use of our printer testimony has somewhat lapsed, something we will fix. I have had a number of what I call God moments. These are divine opportunities that have frequently come across my path whenever I have taken a step of faith. And as I have no ulterior motive to want to share this in front of the church at Hastings, being part of the Beckscale Lord, we're off. So I thought I would share it with you so that you can discern how this would, be, would come in handy. Um, one of my many such stories. I have a well-trained chocolate Labrador. I have no idea what kind of dog that is. And we regularly used to go and sit on a bench in the middle of the town where we lived and wait. Invariably, someone would come up to ask if they could stroke the dog. I would explain that she's a trained pets as therapy dog and would chat to them waiting for the God moment. One little old lady by the name of Olive came up to us one day, sat down next to me and asked to stroke the dog. After a while, the conversation led to God's creation and things moved on from there and God's love was shared. When she got up to go, she groaned a bit as she stood up and leant on her walking stick. I asked what was wrong and she explained that she had a bad knee. She'd had a bad knee for many years and had been in constant pain. I asked if I could pray for her, and she said, I won't make a big thing about it, just simply, you know, because I don't really believe this. But I placed my hand on her shoulder and asked for God to heal her knee. She accepted, and I prayed. She then left, but had my card with my telephone number on it. The following Saturday, I was awoken by a telephone call. It was Olive speaking to me as though she had won the lottery. She had been healed. For some days, she had been pain-free. She had told her relatives, including her Scientologist son next door, 
that God had healed her. I had the privilege, just a bit I love, I had the privilege of leading her to the Lord some weeks later. How I love to hear similar stories. And may I humbly take this opportunity to encourage you as you seek to encourage the church to share the good news by way of personal testimony. It so encouraged me. It's so, so, so. Yeah, I think it's all right to clap. It so encouraged me. And I, I think that we, we really ought to do more of it. Anyhow, that's enough. Let's go on to Matthew. So we're continuing our series on Matthew. Right, brilliant. And this is what I'm doing this morning, fasting and prayer in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together and we'll go for it. Father, we want to thank you that your love has made a way for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you found us, you rescued us, you brought us into your kingdom. Uh, thank you, Lord, that as many as received you, as many as believed in you, you gave the right to become children of God. Thank you that we are your children and you are our father. We delight in the fact that you bring truth to us. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that you'd help me as I serve your church. That, Father, Lord, you'd help us engage with your truth. Let your word come alive. Let your word come alive. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you really would refresh our hearts as we listen to your word. And would you really make me a channel of blessing to your church? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, if you're there. Um, we're continuing on our Matthew series, uh, Matthew chapter 6 from verse 5. And Jesus speaking here, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on bubbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So that it will not be obvious to the others that you are fasting, but only to your father, again, who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Amen. It's interesting as Jesus continues teaching his disciples, he, he opens up some pretty big and exciting things. And it's interesting to note, particularly with fasting and prayer, it's, it's become something that 
more or less seems to have become obsolete. It's been left in a corner somewhere to just gather dust. But as I, as I spent time preparing, and I must be honest, I am not coming to you as an expert of any sort. In fact, I am standing on many shoulders this morning. These are issues that I grapple with myself, so I will not pretend as though they are very, very easy. I struggle with them. But I believe that this affords us opportunity to, as always, see what God says to us in his word. But clearly, it seems to be one of those things that we either don't talk about or we don't even want to touch. But I particularly feel that this morning, God will want to just blow the dust off, particularly fasting. And I don't know whether you can actually get excited about fasting. I think you can. And get us, his church excited about fasting again. I mean, I I love my food. Every time I'm thinking food, 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 food. And so fasting ultimately can be a bit of a challenge. But God wants us, his church, to get excited about fasting and prayer again. Amen. He wants us to get excited about these two exciting things. Now, as Jesus teaches about fasting and prayer, he makes it very, very clear that we should not be like the hypocrites. So in in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5, and then in 16, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. He draws a line there. Do not be like the hypocrites who do or say one thing externally, but think or do another internally. It is also clear from these verses that fasting and prayer were ongoing disciplines at the time. But it's, it's, it's very obvious from what Jesus was saying that the, the Pharisees at the time had turned fasting and prayer like anything else into legal bondage. And so Jesus tries to uh, describe the kind of things they did. They would stand, you know, in the street corners, in, in the synagogues, and they would pray aloud using all the big words and all the interesting words just so people could hear them and people could look at them and say, oh, that's a real prayer, you know. But clearly, that, was what, that wasn't what Jesus wanted for us. This had become obnoxious to Jesus. And so, He addresses it. Fasting and prayer, when undertaking, is meant to be a personal matter between the individual and God. It's not to impress anybody. It is not to show off that you can fast for 40 days. Actually, it's it's between you and God. And in fact, nobody should know about it. In the passage I read to us, we see that Jesus addresses prayer first. And it's, it's interesting, the key things Jesus highlights in there. He's seeking to teach his disciples how to pray. And this is what he says to them. Jesus says to them, when you pray, say this. He says, say Father. And the important thing Jesus was trying to teach us is this. When we come to God in prayer, guess who we have come to? We have come to our Father. And he actually uses the Aramaic word, Abba. Not not a Swedish pop group, Abba, no. But the, 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 the original word is the Aramaic word, Abba. And it means daddy. And it speaks of intimacy between... a a, a son and a father, or maybe a daughter and a father, or a child and a parent. And so, I mean, oftentimes at home, I'm sitting in the kitchen, as always, eating. My my two toddlers coming, and the first thing, they, they look at me and they go, Daddy. 
And that always resonates with me. Once they, it's not that I don't know they are my children, but once they go daddy, it feels like I'm suddenly reminded, oh, I've actually got two toddlers. All right, go on then. Tell me what you want to say to me. But it always resonates with me. And it speaks of intimacy. They don't go around everybody saying daddy, daddy, daddy. It's just me. And it's because I am their daddy. And so Jesus says, yeah, in prayer, you actually are coming to your father. You are coming to your daddy. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm lying in our bedroom on the bed. They just barge in, they jump on the bed, and they are bouncing. Like I'm thinking, what are you boys doing? But again, they can do that. Guess what? Because they have come to who? To daddy. I'm sure if they went to somebody else's home, they wouldn't. They might do that, but they wouldn't necessarily do that, you know. But they can do that with daddy because of the existing relationship. And Jesus wanted us to know that in prayer, we come to daddy. Not some scary person, but a loving father who actually, the Bible says, even before we say what is on our heart, he already knows about it. The doors are always open. We come to daddy. And as Jesus goes on to teach his disciples how to pray, he actually helps them with a few practical things. I need to mention that this wasn't a prayer Jesus wanted us reciting all the time, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But it was more of a framework. So I want to just try and then work through that quickly. Jesus says, having actually helped us come into daddy's presence, Jesus says, once you have entered into that place of intimacy, this is how you should go. He says, pray, hallowed be your name. He touches on three things that are about God and his glory. And the first one is this. He says, pray, hallowed be your name. Basically, we're longing for God's name or character to have top place in the world and in people's hearts. We're saying, Lord, we make you number one in our lives. What a way to begin prayer. So we come to God. We say, God, let your name be honored. Let your name, you know, reign in all the earth. That, that many would come to know you. Many will be drawn to you. We honor your name a good place to start. The second thing about God and his glory, he says, and then pray, second request, pray your kingdom come. And it's very clear that Jesus wasn't speaking about a geographical kingdom, but he was referring to God's rule and his reign, his control in the lives of those who are present were rebelling against his love. It is basically prayer for the spread of the gospel. And he says, pray that your kingdom come, that the gospel will spread, that many would come to hear about the love of the father. And then the third thing about God and his glory, he says, pray your will be done on earth. This third request is directed towards life in the kingdom. God's will be done in us, changing us to become more and more like Jesus. Another very good prayer to pray. Lord, would you make me more like you? Give me a heart like you, Jesus. Let my desires connect with your desires. Having spent time teaching about these three things about God and his glory, he moves on to us and our needs. We also are in the picture, and that's very, very, very exciting. He says, pray, give us today 
our daily bread. And I believe that bread contains all of our needs, you know. The word, the original word actually was meant to indicate, you know, continual supply from God. So spend some time praying for your needs. Then he also says, forgive us our debts. Uh, Definitely a good place to be. Forgive us our sins. We all fall short every now and then. Come to God, tell him about it. Be very, very, very honest about them. Now, the truth is that we shall never be perfect this side of eternity. We can, however, become what we were made for, to love God and to enjoy him forever. And so a good place to be. Pray and ask for God's help. Finally, he says, deliver us from evil. Jesus was very much aware of the evil one's schemes. I mean, for him, he had, soon after he finished fasting, the enemy comes and then accosts him, engages him, and then says, well, ten stones into bread. He was well aware of the enemy's schemes. And so he says to us, listen, seek help and strength from God daily against the enemy. Come to God. If you're battling a particular sin or something in your life, something that you really struggle with on your own, you cannot do it. Come to God and ask for his help. He says, deliver us from evil or from the evil one. So God, our dear heavenly father, his name hallowed or his name honored, his kingdom extended, his will done, our needs supplied, our sins forgiving, our temptations overcome. Hallelujah. Now, this will probably take us six hours to pray through. I don't think Jesus was saying every time you get together to pray, work through these things. But he was at least giving us a framework. It could be that we just touch on one bit of it. And I know that particularly with Abba, God being our father, if you want to work through that, you come to your father. There's lots of things that come to mind immediately. How did God become my father? How did I become God's child? I was far away. I was far away from God at one time. I was God's enemy. There was enmity between myself and God. But God bridged that gap by sending his son Jesus, who came, who found me, who rescued me, and who brought me close to God. That enmity has been removed. Now I can come to God with every boldness. No, God was there. Now I can come to God with every boldness and confidence because all the enmity has been taken away. Praise God for that. You can spend time thanking God for this. In fact, you can, you can spend a whole day thanking God for being your father and what that actually means. I am a child of God. I walk with my head held high. I am God. Just to make sure you are watching when the cars are coming, though. You know, I am God's child. And he loves me and he cares about me. Jesus wanted us to know that. I'm sorry if I'm rushing a bit, but I just want to try and then keep within time. I don't want to go beyond um, the time given to me. So that, that's, that's about prayer. Then Jesus moves on and he, uh, he teaches about, about fasting. And I, I want to be a bit difficult here. All right, please bear with me when it comes to fasting. I, I know that oftentimes we would, we would teach about the fact that it's not just abstention from food, but, but in fact, any good thing. I think that's great. But it's also important that we, 
we just check to make sure that we don't expand the definition too much because then we can lose the cutting edge on fasting. So in the original word, it's actually abstention from food. All right, that's the from the original word, it's abstention from food. However, we are aware that obviously, I mean, lots of people have like health issues and things like that. And so we want to consider other good things. I just thought I would make that clear. It's, it's from the original, it's abstention from from food. And so that should be a primary uh, in our mind. So fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. So fasting is good. And um, it's interesting when Jesus teaches about it, he talks about prayer and then about fasting. I believe that prayer can stand on its own. I believe that fasting can also stand, stand on its own. But actually, when you put the two together, fasting reinforces prayer, doesn't it? So I think the two together, brilliant. It should always be inspired by God himself and not for our own selfish needs. All right? It's very, very important. You should be certain that God is asking you to fast. And God will, God will speak to your heart if it's something he wants you to do. So you don't just get up and say, I'm doing a 40-day fast because Jesus did it. You might end up dead. Be very, very certain that God is calling you um, to do that. It should always be inspired by God. It should be God-initiated, God-ordained in order for it to be effective. I remember growing up as a teenager, days when we didn't have any food, we... We, we fasted. <laughs> when there was no food to eat, automatically we fasted. Great, but I, I don't know whether that's, you know, as effective as um, you'd want to go. I need to mention that fasting is not the same as a hunger strike. Neither is it the same as starvation. When you look in the Bible, there are some people in there who fasted. We can talk about Moses. We can talk about David and Elijah and Daniel. In the New Testament, we find Jesus himself. We find the apostles in the early church. And if you're thinking, oh, come on, Sam, where are the ladies? Where actually there were, some, there were some amazing ladies or some amazing women in there as well. We can talk of Hannah in the Old Testament and then Anna, uh, the prophetess in the New Testament as well. The multi-million dollar question. Should we fast today? A few moments for us to take that in. You don't have to give me an answer. I think that it's very important we, we answer this question correctly. The first thing I would say is, when Jesus was teaching from Matthew 6, he actually says, when and not if. All right, when you fast, not if you fast. Okay, suggesting that he, he actually expected that his, his disciples or his followers would fast. He says, when, when you fast, he makes that very, very, very clear. There was expectation on Jesus' part that his disciples would fast. Um, and Jesus makes it very, very, very clear the kind of fast he actually wanted to. But as we fast forward... To Matthew chapter 9. If we just turn to Matthew chapter 9 quickly, there's a few verses in there I want to bring to us. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that 
we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins and both are preserved. Now, when, the, when these John's disciples came to Jesus and asked him this question, basically they had seen that Jesus and his disciples were constantly eating. That's why I like food. I, let, I, I got it from my master. They were, they were constantly eating. And so they come and they say, why are John's disciples fasting and then your disciples constantly eating? And Jesus' answer to the question of fasting was to ask another question. He says, how can they mourn while the, while the bridegroom is with them? At this point, it's time for feasting. They, they, they can't mourn. This is feasting time. However, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Now, the question is this. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. This is the question. What period was Jesus referring to? Was he referring to, you know, shortly after he had been raised from the dead? I, I don't think so, because when we look in scripture, we don't see any signs of people fasting after that. However, I believe that Jesus was referring to this period of the bridegroom being absent as the time when his disciples will fast. So I believe that the age of the church is the period of the absent bridegroom. It is this age of the church to which our master referred to when he said they will fast. And Jesus goes on and he compares Old Testament pre-Christian fasting to the old wine skins and what his disciples would be doing as new wine that didn't necessarily fit into old wine skins. He says the skins would burst. I want to say to us that Christian fasting is one way of expressing our longing for the bridegroom. When we fast, we're saying, Jesus, we, we long for you. We long for you to come back. It is our way of saying, Jesus, we want you to come and we want you to come soon. In fasting, we are expressing our hunger for the Lord Jesus to come, up, come back and take up his kinship in the world. I want to mention that Christ has already come. The king, the bridegroom, he has already been here. We have seen him. We have encountered him. We love him. He lives in us. But after he rose from the dead, he went up to glory to sit on the right-hand side of the father. And he will come again. And so in fasting, we are longing. We are yearning. We, we are desiring that, yes, indeed, he will come back. We have tasted of his presence we want more and more and more and more of him. So we are not just longing and hoping for something in the future, but actually something that we have already tasted of, something that is good, something that is exciting. 
So Jesus has come. He died. He rose again from the dead. He's gone into glory. But guess what? He will come again. He is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again. And when we fast, we are saying, even so, even so, Lord, come. We're saying, Lord, come, come, come. We long for your return. We hunger for that day. It is a hunger that is rooted in the present experience that we have come to know of Jesus. We fast in this life because we believe in the life to come. We don't have to get it all here now because we have a promise that we will get it in the coming age. And I look forward to that day. One day, we're all going to step into glory like that, you know. I look forward to that day. And it would all, all the pain, all the disappointments would all be gone. And we can see him face to face. I am not saying that when you are fasting, you're looking forward to dying. No, you just are saying, Jesus Come, even so, come. We fast from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible and infinite God and are desperately hungry for more of God. We're saying when we fast, we love you, Lord. We need you more than we need food. That's a hard one. More than we need life. We need you and you and you and you. Fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and with our body how much we need and want to trust Jesus. We won't be enslaved by food as a source of satisfaction. Don't ask me if I'm fasting today. Please don't do that. We can use the renunciation of food from time to time to express that Jesus is better than food. That Jesus is more needful than food. When we fast, like it was being read to us earlier, we taste of the heavenly food, the bread of life, Jesus himself. Hallelujah. Every time we fast, we are tasting of the bread of life. Because we're saying stomach, no. Bread of life, yes. We're tasting of Jesus himself. Some practical bits on how to fast. And then I'll finish off with how to break a fast. And then I'll, I'll be done. Yeah. I need to just mention... That fasting is hard, all right? It is difficult. It is like cycling up Elphinstone Road. Now, I've got to, I've got to make a confession here. I live down Elphinstone Road. And um, early morning Sundays when I'm coming for the prayer meeting, I come on my bike. I have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to cycle up Elphinstone Road. I can't do it. So I, obviously, I'm in Langham Road. So I come down Langham Road, which is, it goes, and then I get onto Elphinstone Road, and then I start. Low gear, it makes it easy. And so I'm going after about maybe 50 meters. I just, oh, man, come on, my thighs, they're hurting. I'm like, no, today I will, I will go a bit more. I try, and I'm like, I just, I can't do it. And it's one of the goals I've set for myself is to be able to cycle up. Elphinstone Road. The day I do it, I will let the whole church know. <laughs> At the minute, I haven't accomplished that as yet. And I want to say that fasting is hard. It's like cycling up Elphinstone Road. It sounds, it, sounds, it sounds much easier in concept than it proves to be in practice. Now, how do you feel when you miss a meal? It's not easy, is it? A few practical tips. One. 
If you're wanting to fast, please remember it should be ordained by God, inspired by God. I would say start small. So, for instance, if you have never done it, you've never fasted before, don't say you're going to fast for a week. Maybe start off by missing, say, a meal. All right? Start slow. Don't, or start small. Don't start with a 30-day fast. Uh, you do a lot of harm to your body. Can I also say that you plan what you do instead of eating? I find out that the day I decide to fast is a day when I'll turn up at work and then my colleagues bring donuts. Those donuts with, with jam and custard in them. And they, they are always there in the staff room. And so every time I come in, I can see them. I come in, oh, donut, no. I come in again, donut. And it's also, it's also the day that my other colleagues don't necessarily eat them. And so they are there the whole day. And so I would say that you should plan what you do instead of eating. If you just say, well, I'm going to fast, and then you don't have a plan, by 10 o'clock in the morning, you would begin to struggle. By 12, it would feel like you're dying. So I'll say have a plan. Maybe a passage of scripture you want to read, engage with God, that would be great. The challenge is oftentimes when you're working, but obviously you can have a plan around that. Can I also say that if you're fasting, you should consider how it would affect others. So if you get together with colleagues for a meal and things like that, let them know in advance that you will not be able to join in. If you've got something to do with, say, family, let them know that you will not be able uh, to join in. Can I also say or suggest that you try different kinds of fasting? There's uh, what uh, Bible pundits would call the normal one, what Jesus said. It says after Jesus had fasted, uh, he was hungry. It doesn't say he was thirsty. And it said that he wanted food. He didn't want water. So here they are saying, you know, just abstaining from food, but not water. And then there's the absolute fast, like what Paul did in Acts chapter 9, verse 9. For three days, he went without food or water. And then obviously, there's a partial one where we choose to, you know, just uh, do away with selected uh, things. And then uh, number five, a lot of people will be excited about this. Fast from something other than food. So maybe Netflix, all right, or social media, or the Xbox, or TV in general. You could also fast from that, particularly if you've got health problems. I would say always check with your, your physicians to be certain that you can actually uh, do that. Breaking your fast, as I finish off, the Bible reveals very little of how people broke their fasts. A few practical tips. Start with something light and watch your quantity. So if you're breaking your fast, preferably start off with some fruits or veggies or rather than going for a six-course meal. You might end up doing a lot of harm to your body. Can I also suggest you eat slowly and you chew well? I don't know whether I should be the one saying these things. Maybe uh, the physician should tell us these, uh, these things. Number three, rest as much as possible. And then finally, don't try to do too much too soon. God is our father. He is Abba. He wants us to engage with him. He's giving us fasting and prayer as a tool in getting to know him, in getting to grow our relationship with him. And particularly for the season of going into one church, four venues, even as we consider the Angela Kem weekend, I guess for your own life, in your own situations, there may well be issues in there that you're wanting to reach out to God for. Just come to God be certain that God is inspiring you to go for it. I mean, I, I, I know that there's huge benefits when we actually give quality time to fasting and prayer. God comes through. God revives us. God stirs exciting things in our hearts. And I really would want to recommend that to, to King's Church. Remember, when we fast, we're saying, bread of life, we want you. 
when we fast, we're saying, Jesus, we want you to come. We want you. Even so, Lord, come. It's all about Jesus. We take ourselves out of the center. Jesus is right. The fasting and prayer is about our Father. It's all about Jesus. God bless you, church. Thanks so much, Sam. My tip is learn to fast when you're young because it doesn't get any easier. Um, There's a few good stories out there amongst us of people that have seen real breakthrough in their lives through fasting. So maybe in your connect groups or maybe you might want to ask someone, have you ever fasted? What's it like? Um, You might want to do that. Um, I'm aware that you've heard an awful lot this morning. And for some of you, maybe you've been coming along for a while, but you don't yet know Jesus. Or for some of you, it might be the the first time. You might have responded even this morning. Um, Paul mentioned the Alpha course, which runs on Thursdays here I think it's 7 o'clock, is it, or 7.30? Quarter to 8, there you go, quarter to 8. It's really informal, low-key, you can ask your questions. Why do people get up early on a Sunday morning to pray? Why do they fast? I never knew that I could call God Father in a a, a good way. Um, I didn't realize Jesus was coming back. What do you mean he's coming back? He's got a purpose for my life now. There's all these sorts of questions, and... Alpha is a really good place where you can come and you can ask anything you want. You can listen to a short talk on different parts of the Christian faith and what it means to follow Jesus. You haven't got to join the church. You don't have to be a member. It doesn't cost you anything. You'd be really welcome to come along. And we've only had week one, which is a bit of an introduction. So week two is when things really start to kick off. So you'd be very welcome to come along. Okay. We're going to have tea and coffee outside now. There's a little connect area if you want to ask any questions, um, if you want to respond to anything that happened this morning. I think other than that, we're done. Thank you so much, Sam, for blessing us so much and all those that led us this morning. God bless you. Is it better up here?